Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Hey Ben, what's up? Uh, greetings, uh, Sammy Hadjassad and uh, fellow human podcast listeners. Now, let me just give all of our listeners a quick recap of what me and you do, Ben. You see, we travel places, we check out these things called cars, we drive them, we take photos of them, we write about them, we do videos of them, and that's pretty much it. I think that's a really efficient way of describing what we do. Well, uh, what do you think? a more efficient way to describe it would be to use the word journalism, which encapsulates everything you just said in a single word. Very true, Ben. Very true. Uh, ben and I are your hosts, and we have a lot to talk about because we just came back from the 2016 L.A. Auto Show, which was in the lovely city of L.A. <laughs> and I want to apologize to our listeners who were expecting a podcast last week, but one of us decided to take a vacation while they were in L.A., and that kind of just pushed everything off uh, seven days later than it normally would. But we're still very excited, at least I am, to talk about what happened. I am very excited, too, and I think you can hear it in my voice, mainly because of that refreshed feeling I have after coming back from vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Sammy, what what was the, you know, for me, the show this year, um, we discussed this when we, we actually attended the show together. It's it's nice to be able to see each other face to face. And uh, what I found about L.A. for 2016 was there wasn't really any one vehicle that kind of wowed me or or stole the show necessarily. It was more like a, a scattering of interesting debuts and, I guess, important for the companies, but nothing really groundbreaking. What do you think, Sammy? Was there anything that really kind of grabbed your attention? I think there, were, there was one significant uh, reveal that caught everyone's attention, and that was the new Jaguar I-Pace, which is an electric crossover that Jaguar has committed to making. Um, it looked great and should be on the roads in 2018, which is what they say. It really did look great. Um, I think it was definitely a shot across the bow to Tesla and the Model X, which doesn't look great at all. Um, I actually, it's funny, there aren't a lot of them on the roads in Montreal. The sedan is much more popular. But when I was in LA, I came across a Model X and just randomly parked. And it took about two minutes, no, a minute and a half for me to find body panels that weren't aligned properly. Uh, door handles for the Falcon doors that didn't line up with the front doors. Uh, all sorts of little problems that you really wouldn't expect in a six-figure car. So, you know, once Jaguar and I know uh, Porsche is getting in on this too and a few other of the European luxury companies, once they really start being serious about EVs, it's not a good situation for a company like Tesla unless they really improve their quality control. Well, you know what? You you really hit it on the head with the Jaguar. It was uh, it is a gorgeous car, and that's uh, a huge contrast to what the Model X uh, looks like. I don't think the Model X is pretty at all. Um, but both those car, both these cars that we're talking about have excellent performance figures so far, um, and we'll see uh, whether or not you know the. I mean, I don't know if quality was always something that Jaguar is is known for, uh, but I think it should stand up uh, against the the Tesla in in the long range. Well, it, you know, I understand what you're saying quality-wise. Um, I don't think that Jaguar's quality issues had anything to do with build necessarily. I think it was more mechanical and, and electrical issues over time. So I, I think the thing that I noticed the most with Tesla, it's it's not necessarily the quality of the, the, the drivetrain that's the problem. It's the idea that, that building a, a car is really, really hard. Uh, manufacturing itself is a difficult thing on a large scale. And that's where I noticed the problems. It's mostly fit and finish. And those things are forgivable on more affordable vehicles. But when you start paying S-Class money for a car, you start to expect a different standard, I think. 
Okay, well, you keep talking about the the price range. Now, talking to Jaguar about this car, they said that this is going to just uh, this is just going to go uh, over the F pace, what the F pace costs, and I don't think that should I don't think that should get into the triple digits. I mean, the the six digits um, when it comes to the to the I pace. What do you think? Well, if they can keep it at that price range, then I think that that's an even bigger blow to a boutique and manufacturer like Tesla. I mean, I, I don't want to start this podcast off as just like an anti-Tesla screed. That, that was Are you a, sure? I think that'd be a good, I think that'd be a good way to get some listeners. That wasn't my intent. Well, it would definitely be a great way to make friends on Twitter, but, uh, <laughs> any, uh, anyways, this car does sound really, it sounds great. I mean, it looks great. And it was definitely the thing that, uh, that shocked me. Now, the second thing that really, and now the second thing that really shocked me as well was another crossover. And that was the Mazda CX-5. Now I don't, I know a lot of people are going to be like, what? It just, it's just another crossover, mainstream crossover, but, uh, it looks great. It looks like a mini CX-9 and it will finally be coming with a diesel engine. I, I'm going to stop you right there <laughs> because they say it's going to be coming with a diesel engine. And I've never heard. I've never heard that before. I've never heard an automaker say something like that and uh, and not deliver on their promise. Why would they? Why would they lie to us? Ben? Certainly not Mazda, which, if you'll recall, also said the exact same thing about a little car called this Mazda Six, and that never happened. And it never happened for a very good reason. Mazda was unable to make its diesel drivetrain comply with the. Uh, pollution controls in North America. It's not so much that they can't comply with the pollution controls, it's that they can't generate the power that they want um, while also complying with the pollution controls. Uh, they, they elected not to do what Volkswagen did, which was lie. <laughs> so they, they lied at the beginning by saying there'd be one <laughs> instead of lying at the end by saying, yeah, it meets all, it meets all the regulations. But I, I, I can't help, you know, we'd be remiss in our jobs if we didn't mention the fact that yeah mazda says there's going to be a diesel cx5 but it's a story we've heard before and we really you know if you look at how difficult diesels have been for so many um uh, manufacturers are we really going to see this engine i really think we are i think mainly because they want a piece of that uh, tdi pie that's gone away both them and chevy i mean mazda and chevy are going for this the equinox was announced with a diesel and the cruise i think should be having a diesel and mazda wants in on that action as well well as, as i understand it the gm doesn't have a history of you know promising diesel and then not bringing diesel to the market okay that's so true. I'm, I'm much i'm much more willing to believe i mean they, they currently have a small diesel in the in the colorado that's available it's it's yeah, a four-cylinder diesel there and it, it passes the flying colors, all the things it needs to pass. So I, I, I'm cheering for Mazda. It would be cool if it happened. It would be great for them because Volkswagen has just this week decided they're no longer going to be offering diesels in North America, period, full stop. So that means there's a big chunk of the market out there that's now not going to be able to get its diesel fix. And Mazda would love to swoop in and grab some of that with the CX-5. Um, and, you know, GM's thinking the same thing with the Cruze. We're going to get a diesel version of that, most likely, and the tracks, like you mentioned. But uh, I'll, no, I'll I believe it was the Equinox. Equinox. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. All right. But uh, you did mention the diesel in the Colorado, and that's an important segue because there was a new Colorado uh, shown off at the LA Auto Show, the ZR2, which is uh, going to be a, an off-road focused version of the Colorado, a more off-road focused version of the Colorado. How would you describe this? Uh, well, it's kind of an interesting 
Gambit from uh, Chevrolet, I think. A few weeks ago, a few weeks before the LA Auto Show, I was at the Camaro 1LE event that we discussed. But at that event, I had the chance to sit down for a few hours with the engineers at Multimatic, which is a company that manufactures suspension systems and a bunch of chassis systems, actually, for uh, Formula One championship teams. Um, prototype racing, all sorts of motorsports, and they they got their feet wet with uh, General Motors on the Chevrolet Z28 Corvette, uh, sorry Z28 Camaro, which featured something called um, DSSV technology, which is a different type of shock, uh, where instead of having a standard uh, monotube or twin tube design, you use these spool valves inside the the shock itself, and you can use them inside the shock, outside the shock, with an external reservoir, and what it allows you to do is control to a very fine point how the fluid moves within the shock absorber and allows you to react to um, what's going on around the car, the, how it's being driven, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's kind of like, I know GM already has their MagnaRide system, mm-hmm. which is a magnetic way of controlling uh, how shocks respond. Mm-hmm. But MagnaRide doesn't work very well when it gets very, very hot. And in racing, oh. yeah, see, this is, this when, well, when we were discussing ZR2, I was like, why don't you just use MagnaRide instead of developing something, you know, completely different? But they said that they've tried MagnaRide on racetracks, and in a racing application, a lot of the times these shocks are positioned very close to the exhaust manifolds or the mm-hmm. exhaust pipes themselves. And once the heat that gets generated, not just from driving, but the exhaust itself, it, it completely renders the system um, just not not competitive. So uh, with the DSSV, they're able to put them right wherever they want in the, on the chassis and uh, not worry about heat. And this is very important when you're driving off-road because I realize I'm just kind of ranting again at this point. But It's exciting. Uh, I like it. Listen, it tell, was, tell me more. It, you I mean, know, it, I didn't understand some of the, I'm not an engineer. Are you I'm, sure? I, I am sure. And um, the, the presentation that I saw and the questions I was able to ask – I mean, a, a, some of it went above my head, that, that's for sure. But it boils down to the fact that with an external reservoir DSSV shock, what you can do is when you're jumping your truck, you're at, at or, or, or I'm sorry, land, I'm sorry, what? You know, when, when I'm what? Mike, when you're when I'm dr- doing what? To when my you're truck? jumping your truck on the way to work in the morning. <laughs> is that a responsible thing that I should be doing? It really doesn't matter if it's responsible or not. What does matter is that you can do it. <laughs> And gotcha. I think that's a life lesson <laughs> that applies outside of automotive as well. But the 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 extreme compression and expansion of a shock is very hard to control in mm-hmm. a monotube or a twin tube design. It's just it's just difficult. And what ends up happening is they have to design around it. So you end up with a shock that is capable of landing your jump truck and and your jump truck and not exploding or rendering you completely out of control. But on the road later on, since the shock was designed for this one specific circumstance, it's very extreme. It, it feels like crap. Like, it doesn't right. drive very well. Right. And, and that's pretty much all of aftermarket shocks for off-road driving. I mean, you're making a compromise. With DSSV, they are able to tune the shock for both situations. So on the street, it drives like the Colorado would drive normally. It's, it's comfortable. It's easy to control. You don't feel like the steering wheel is wandering everywhere. It's not a numb sensation. But when you get out into the desert on your way to work in the morning and you hit that dune at just the right angle mm-hmm. at 95 miles an hour and you land the truck, the <laughs> truck is able to – the shock absorber itself is able to process that impact without any issue. So there's no real compromise. And it's the same system that they use in the Z28, except on the Z28 it was designed for track driving and street driving together. And in this case, it's off-road. 
So in a nutshell, that's what the ZR2 is. And what I find interesting about the ZR2 is it's the first time anyone's really stood up to the Tacoma TRD. And so because it's a small truck, I mean, we we do we all know the Raptor is sort of like the big daddy uh, off-road truck, right? Yes, but the Raptor does not have this technology either. The Raptor relies on, you know, traditional shock absorber technology. This is really something that no one's doing in the off-road world, even in the aftermarket. It sounds, I mean, first of all, uh, I can't believe that this thing is, is, exists. I can't believe that they're actually going to offer this, uh, this Colorado ZR2. And I really hope that they kind of showcase it in a racing event. I didn't hear anything like that yet. Um, but we always know, I, I know like Raptor, I mean, Ford campaigns their Raptors in certain off-roading events. And I believe Toyota does as well. Uh, so I think that they should really show off what it can do. But I've been reading so much about the ZR2 um, with its all-wheel drive system, with um, its those electronic locking, locking differentials, um, and, and an off-road mode that like changes the way the stability and traction control kind of work. Um, it sounds like a wicked truck, and it looks awesome too. I think even you know there are going to be people who buy this who don't even take it. To, to a fraction of its uh, of its capability. I would I say that's, that's probably 95% of the people who will buy this truck. <laughs> yeah, and I still think they're going to be uh, happy with what they're looking at, even though it's a small truck, and um, uh, and, and it just looks badass. Um, yeah, well, you know, there's always room for one more player in the off-road world, and there, you know, if you look at the contraction that's occurred around factory-produced off-road vehicles, we've lost the uh, Xterra, in the last and couple the, of years. And the FJ, the, the FJ, FJ, my, yep. my to- favorite one. Totally gone. Uh, so what do we have left? We have the Raptor, which is, you know, in some ways overkill. It's a very large vehicle and it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the Wrangler, which is an institution. And you have all the other Jeeps. I mean, pretty much every Jeep can be trail rated. But, I mean, if you're serious about off-road, you're probably buying a Wrangler. And then you don't really have a lot else. You can get the, the Tacoma with the TRD off-road package, and it's it's a good truck. There's the Nissan Frontier Pro 4X, which is similar in design, but again, a very old platform. Ancient. Yes. Uh, and now you've got the ZR2, which is uh, a breath of fresh air, someone investing new technology into the off-road segment. And I think that's good for everyone. Okay. Uh, I want to continue on with our LA Auto Show uh, discussion here, but I need to ask you, have you ever jumped a truck? Yes. Like, really? And what was that like? And did it work afterwards? It was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk to, about a, a vehicle that um, we definitely won't jump, which is the new Alfa Romeo. Um, a cro- another crossover, which seems to be the trend going forward these days. Uh, it's called the Stelvio. Okay. And I'm sure you want to know more about it, right? Sure. Hit me with the information. Okay, well, this thing should give the likes of the uh, Cayenne and the GLE class um, Mercedes, um, the BMW X5 or X6, uh, a sort of run. It's going to go uh, around that price point, and it offers the, the similar range of, of engines. There's going to be a turbocharged 4 at the low end and a turbocharged uh, 6, I believe, at the, at the high end. Um, and it looks, it looks pretty sharp for a, for a crossover. And it's definitely coming to dealerships for real, like it's a real thing. They say so. I mean, I don't have any pricing yet on it, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we're we're supposed to be ex- we, we expect the Stelvio and the Giulia to sort of spearhead Alfa Romeo's uh, U.S. Uh, invasion. Well, I'm I'm I'd be happy to see it happen. We've been waiting for Alfa Romeo to become more than a single product manufacturer in North America for quite a while. I think. 
Absolutely. Um, and it, it was it really did g- gain some attention. It really gathered some attention over there. Uh, that turbocharged V6 puts out like 500 horsepower. And um, I know we were talking about zero to 60 speeds uh, earlier with uh, the stuff like the Tesla Model X. This does it in 3.9 seconds. And that's pretty impressive. That is impressive. For a big car like this? Yeah. What else caught your eye? Come on. What did you cover? Ooh, what did I cover? Well, I mean, Subaru's building a ginormous SUV. You know what bugged me about that debut is that they didn't quite commit to a name yet. Well, it's just a concept, right? Uh, But they wanted to. They they say it's going to be built in 2018, which is just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, but we've seen what's happened with Subaru in the past. Remember in New York a couple of years ago when they brought up the WRX concept and it was super awesome, and then they built the car and. It was fun to drive, but it looked absolutely nothing like the concept. I do remember that. So why don't you uh, explain to our listeners what the uh, the Visiv 7 concept looks like? And can you please assure everybody out there that it doesn't look anything like a Tribeca? No, it, it looks nothing like a Tribeca, and that's by design. I mean, Subaru got burned pretty bad with the Tribeca, which was a competent but thoroughly uninteresting vehicle <laughs> that, that nobody bought. And um, as a result... The, the new design for the Visiv 7, which is what, what this concept is called, it, it looks a lot like other uh, crossovers, other large, and I mean large, like we're talking Highlander large, um, mm. po- Honda Pilot large, and there's only so much you can do with that type of body style when it comes to design. And I think Subaru did the best they could in terms of making it look chunky and aggressive and big and bold, and this is in your face, and you can put seven people inside of it. And they need this vehicle in their lineup. It's time for them to do it. And I think that if they release it, you know, in the next couple of years, they'll do fine with it. And it'll probably be nice to drive. And it gives them somewhere to put the flat six that they've got lying around. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know. Maybe we'll see a new drivetrain from Subaru, which would be interesting, I think. That would be really interesting. And I really am hoping that this uh, does not suffer with the the same syndrome of the Tribeca. Um, Mainly because... Subaru's been killing it lately uh, in North America. They've been really doing a great job. They have a product for almost uh, everybody out there, except for this one segment. Yeah, and it's a super important segment. Well, I don't know if it's super important because three-row crossovers, they're they're profitable, but they're not volume sellers necessarily. They can be. Uh, I think only the Explorer is kind of the the top guy in that uh, that segment. But uh, it's, you know, for Subaru, a company that's, like you said, has been killing it with smaller SUVs, you want to have somewhere for people to go uh, in the showroom once they've outgrown a Forester. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, occasionally people do have more than two kids. And <laughs> when that happens, you might want a third row. Or, you know, the other thing, too, with a lot of thir- three-row crossovers, it's not that people have large families. It's that they have families that visit them or friends that visit them. They want to go out and do something. And maybe that third row gets used like two or three times a year. But knowing that you have it, it it's comforting for a lot of buyers. And I think that drives a lot of sales. Uh, okay, uh, we're, we, we've got all of the family-friendly and boring cars, I think, out of the way from the LA Auto Show. There's a few things out there that we didn't really cover. I mean, I think we talked about the Ford uh, EcoSport um, in the last podcast. Um, but one thing that really bugged me about the debut in the U.S. that didn't have that trunk-mounted uh, spare tire that I really like. When I saw one of these things in, in, in the Middle East, uh, I was like, oh, wow, it looks like a tiny RAV4. I love it. And then they showed it in the U.S. and I was like, oh, it lost its it lost its uh, its one identifying trait. And and <laughs> fear not though, because that identifying trait is going to be coming back in the form of an options package, where you'll be able to get 
the uh, the spare just slap it on the back and you can recreate like a miniature Indiana Jones type of theme with the Equisport. What? That's amazing. Oh my God, I'm so excited about this little thing. And it's weird because they didn't announce that whatsoever <laughs> at the event itself. But there was some, you know, the question that you asked is what everyone asked me <laughs> when I was at the show. is like, where, where's the spare tire? And Ford heard this and they're like, no, no, don't worry, the spare tire is coming. Like they, 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 they came on onto social media to let us know. I so, can't believe I thought I was the only person who would have even thought of that. Oh, no, that's great. That's it was, awesome. I think that there's a dedicated cadre of Suzuki <laughs> samurai and like... Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> enthusiasts out there, yeah. Um, the, the other thing, you know, we said we'd be done with family-friendly, but uh, Nissan did something at the LA Auto Show that kind of dwarfed everyone around them. They brought a full-size TIE Fighter uh, replica yeah. prop from Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and they, they put that up at their booth. And for those of you who are not familiar with what a TIE fighter is, well, in the world of Star Wars, there's an evil galactic empire that is essentially there to crush the freedom of everyone in the universe. And this is one of their implements of destruction. It's a, it's a, it's a spaceship. It was it's a spaceship. It, it the, was huge. It was bigger than a house, man. It kills rebels is what it does. <laughs> and I mention this because Subaru has created a... Sorry, uh, Nissan has created a vehicle, a special version of the Rogue SUV called the... Uh, what is it? The the S- Nissan Rogue Rogue One Star Wars Edition, I believe, is the full title. Oh man! <laughs> and uh, this vehicle, you can get it in white or black, I believe, mm-hmm. and it comes with a bunch of Star Wars stickers and sill plates and all that fun stuff that says Rogue One and all that. Because there's a there's a Star Wars. In case you haven't heard, there's a Star Wars movie coming next month, and. Uh, the, the, the piece de resistance is if you buy this rogue, 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 you get... <laughs> rogue One Star Wars edition? I don't even know what it's called. But yes, what what do you get? Sorry, do you get uh, a ticket to the movie or, no, or no, a behind-the-scenes pass? You or get like something... A Blu-ray or, or like what do you get? See, that would be cool. And, 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 and I think that everyone could enjoy that. But instead, <laughs> what Nissan has decided is to give you a replica prop. It's a, uh, a Death Trooper helmet. Oh, and it's life size, <laughs> and it's yes, Death Trooper. So Nissan has decided to align its brand with the term Death Trooper. Now, quick question: Are there good guys in the Star Wars universe that we could have, you know, I don't know, brought uh, like suggested that maybe that's the that's the prop that we could have used? So something the, the good guy <laughs> arsenal, or or or. It's uh, funny. It's funny you should mention that because the vehicle is actually named after the good guys. The Rogue One is like the the rebels who are fighting the evil empire. But instead of giving you something like a cool like rebel helmet, you're getting a Death Trooper helmet, which is there's there's going to be five thousand four hundred of these. Five thousand go to the states. Four hundred go to Canada. And mm-hmm. that's that's the also Wait, the produ- that's it that's it that's there, it so, there aren't any global versions of this not car? that not that I'm aware of probably in Japan I mean Death Trooper it's it's got to be appealing there for collectors I mean there's a lot of Star Wars fans in Japan but uh, that, um, I think that's even funnier that there's only Star Wars fans in both in in apparently in Canada not, at least Star Wars fans who are big enough to buy a car so <laughs> this helmet is life size I mean it's black it looks menacing. Um, and it, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Like, like you said, there are good guys. They could have named it after the good guys, but no. I mean, I assume that the next next uh, Star Wars movie that comes out will be able to buy a torture droid armada. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for, and uh, it'll come with restraints in the rear cargo area. And some type of hot implement that's razor sharp or thin or something like a needle. That anyway, the, the possibilities are. And now that now that I, Nissan has gone over fully to the dark side, 
the possibility. I need, to, I need to. I need to ask more though about this. First of all, are they expecting people to wear the helmet, or are they expecting it to be like placed somewhere in their house or in their car? Because <laughs> well, like mean, who, and also who gets to decide in the? I mean, if it's a family-friendly car, you're not just driving by yourself. I can't just wear my helmet, and no one else in the car is going to wear my helmet. So do I have to? Do we have to like? Man, that would be such a such a lengthy process. To I I assume Ooh. that the the Death Trooper helmet occupies a place of honor in your home beside the Iron Maiden that you also have in your basement of torture. Right, right. <laughs> but um, while you're driving, you probably shouldn't wear. It. There's probably a sticker somewhere that says "Will in, Will obstruct you know peripheral vision or will induce thoughts of evil and dead darkness." <laughs> that's okay because Nissan has that great safety shield that keeps us all from crashing into everything. So that's true. It all works out. You know, I, I like the. Idea of a movie tie-in car, I think it's fun. I'm just I like I like you know what I like more than the idea of a movie tie-in car? A food tie-in car? Oh, okay. Uh and and if you were to if you were to pick a food tie-in car, what food would you tie it into? Something hot and spicy and with a rooster on the bottle of it. So you know I'm talking about Sriracha, baby. <laughs> and that's exactly what Lexus did this year. Uh, well, Lexus teamed up with the folks at West uh, West Coast Customs to give us an over-the-top customized uh, version of the Lexus IS. Well, it wasn't that over-the-top. Come on. I'm sorry. Every, first of all, it was called the, like, the Lexus Sriracha Edition uh, IS. And um, everything about it was, was... If you're trying to tell me that it wasn't over-the-top, the paint coat was you like actually uses the sriracha in it as in if you got if you got past the clear coat you would taste sriracha say you licked the car yeah but no one's giving you a death trooper helmet to go with your sriracha car no one's forcing you to drop sriracha in your eyes just before you get behind the wheel or you know there's no intravenous sriracha device sitting in the passenger seat i i think i think it was tasteful if you were gonna build a hot sauce themed car (laughs) I think this is as tasteful as it gets. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, it's a shame that they're not actually going to make a hot sauce edition. It was just this one off. But they packed the, the trunk with 43 bottles, like specifically 43 bottles of the hot sauce. And then um, left it completely unguarded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Now that you think about it, maybe there were 44 and somebody came home with one. Don't look at me. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. If the LA Auto Show is still going on by the time you hear this podcast... Check out the Sriracha car and bring a backpack. Um, anyways, there's, there's like, all they went so overboard with some of this kitschy stuff. I mean, I believe the um, the driving mode uh, is, is, instead of sport, is, like, Sriracha. Um, there's a Sriracha temperature setting. There's a warning on the steering wheel for uh, hot handling. Well, you know so, what? I, I mean, I mean, we're talking about it, right? So yeah, exactly. I mean, kudos to Lexus. I they think, didn't uh, show off a new car; they just showed off this crazy thing, and it worked. Well, maybe they can get in on the Star Wars action next year. Maybe they can muscle Nissan out of the way, and uh, because it's not, you know, Nissan's not the only company to have uh, gone to the dark side. I, didn't Dodge have a uh, Stormtrooper Charger or something like that a few years ago? Yeah, and I I would recall them also having some uh, Fiat products as well, right? Yes, once again. You'll note that it was the evil jackboot of the Galactic Empire on the throats of Dodge customers and not like a, a cuddly green Yoda car or some type of, I don't know, Jar Jar Binks offensive car. <laughs> uh, you're right. There was none of that uh, going on at the auto show, which is a shame. You're right. It, I mean, I guess we did, we already have enough to talk about in an extra article or two to write would have just been too much. <laughs> 
but uh, you know the auto show it was it was fine it was it was kind of low-key um but i we were both in well you were in you were in la it felt like an eternity um <laughs> i was there for a week and uh what were you what were you driving when you were there yeah when i wasn't at the auto show i had myself in a mazda uh, mx5 and this is not the retractable fastback it's just your regular garden variety uh rear wheel drive um drop top and it was a load of fun and they're everywhere over there um you know what made it more fun is the is the temperature because when i came home it was uh like five degrees and then it dropped down to zero and i was super cold uh but over there it was 20 degrees the whole time and uh that's to me that's drop top weather but apparently californians need it uh, californians need it a little bit hotter than that because everywhere i went everyone's drop top was uh was Oh, was up like no one no one was driving around with the wind there they all yeah. looked like we were crazy what's up no, with that no i know what you're saying i experienced the same thing when i was there but you know <laughs> you know it's interesting that you mentioned the uh you mentioned the rf um i believe that the rf is currently on sale is it not oh yeah this is a new story that came out uh, just recently is that uh, people are are tracking their their orders of the rf um and and hoping it gets here real soon which i think is really cool because uh, the MX-5 is such a loyal fan base, and this new car, it's just, it just looks great. It's, uh, it's going to be a whole new product for the, for the uh, automaker, as opposed to the old hardtop. This has this extra like, element of style, um, and I think it looks great. Well, what's interesting is that, uh, too, I mean, the fact is none, no journalists have really driven the RF yet. I believe there's only one in the country right now until these, these freight, freighters arrive uh, in the United States. And apparently it's being shipped two months earlier um, than it was originally supposed to be shipped, which means that people are going to be driving them before people like Sammy and I, journalists, actually get to drive them and test them out. And this is, I think the, the actual event for um, the Miata RF is going to occur in the spring when the new CX-5 drive happens. So this is kind of a trend that we've noticed recently where car companies are putting vehicles on sale without having a preview for journalists. And what do you think about that, Sammy? That is tough. That happened to me with the Continental as well. Um, I know that they were on, I know that they were on sale before we had the chance to drive them. It happened to me with Cruise uh, earlier this year as well. Uh, I don't know what to, to say about that. I think um, they need to sell the product um, and uh, the, the traditional method of doing that through uh, word of mouth with the journalists or reading or, or getting people's opinions uh, from trusted journalists or writers, um, just might not be there for, might not be the, the go-to method anymore. And people just want to get them in people's, uh, I mean, the automakers want to get them in people's hands and, and see what happens next. They want your, they want your money and they want to go away. They want to run away with it. <laughs> now, do you think that this is true of all demographics or uh, let's be honest, the RF is a cool car, but they're going to sell a very small number of these. And they're probably going to sell them to people who would have bought them regardless of what any journalist said. I mean, I think that's 100% true. I think that car in particular, um, it, it, you, the, the fan base have blinders on. They don't care what you say. Um, and I mean, both you and I have, I think, some criticisms on the MX-5. To me, at least the steering, uh, I don't yes. think it's as good as past um, versions of the car. No, I, I'm completely in agreement with you there. But uh, say that to an MX fan and uh, you'll, you'll probably get... Like they'll they'll stick their their fingers in the ear and go na 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 na. I don't well, hear you. You know, to be fair, it's it's still a great car. I really like it as a sports car. But you know, when you compare it to past examples of the Miata, it's very difficult to to feel the same type of passion for the steering and and it's 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 a noticeable difference. But 
again, it's a super low volume car for, for Mazda. Um, I think that they were down to 5,000 a year with the previous generation. I don't know how the current one is doing, but typically uh, sports cars see a very large spike in the first year and a half that they go on sale, and then it settles down to, uh, once that pent-up demand is gone, it, it settles down to a very low level of sales. Talk to me about what you had in LA, though, which is a pretty popular car, too. Oh, an extremely popular car. I had a, uh, a Challenger Scat Pack, which is the 485 horsepower 6.4 liter, I believe, uh, Hemi engine. Don't you love that engine? It's it's my favorite version of the Challenger. I mean, I don't need a Hellcat. I, I find the Hellcat frightening to drive uh, in a performance setting. On the street, it's fine, but on a track, it's 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 frightening in a Challenger. Um, and I don't think the RT has enough power to really overcome the bulk of the car. But the the Scat Pack is the sweet spot, or should I say, the RT Scat Pack, which is how it's branded. It's uh, it's it's comfortable to drive. It's it's big inside. It looks badass. I had the shaker hood. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds which is um, wh- the the shaker hood is not like a it's not a functional thing. It's a it's a no. It's a hundred percent functional. Okay, it it is. It, it is. Okay. That's the air intake for for the engine. They they have it routed and sealed uh, with the hood. My mistake. I thought it was a bit of a gimmick. Well, it is a gimmick, but it were but it's also it's a functional gimmick. I mean, and okay. it, it looks great. And and <laughs> you know what's funny about the Challenger is, I mean, all the valets that I went to all week in L.A. And I know I'm, I'm a little bit of a humble brag there, but uh, <laughs> they love the car. I had guys just revving it. Um, everyone wanted to talk to me about it. People would tell me it was a nice car just from the sidewalk. You don't – I mean this is Los Angeles where supercars are a dime a dozen in certain neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a, a car like the Challenger to get that level of attention at all times, that's a huge home run for Chrysler. And uh, I really like the car a lot. I mean it's, it's the kind of car I could maybe see myself owning if, if I just wanted a nice daily cruiser um, that sounded ridiculously badass. Uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun to drive around Los Angeles. Now I haven't had a RT Scat Pack. Can you can you just elaborate on, on that a little bit? It's not an SRT model. It's an RT. Yeah. So the, and it doesn't use the 5.7. So here's how. No, it's not the 5.7. It's this. Well, that's lo- interesting, isn't it? It's the larger engine, and and the reason I like it so much is because to me, the Challenger is way too heavy of a car to take to the track uh, for anything other than drag racing, and even in drag racing, it's a fairly heavy car. It's it's <laughs> over four thousand pounds. Um. So the, the, the 5.7 is not enough motor. It sounds good, but performance is really not that great in a straight line. The bulk of the car means if you buy the SRT392, which has the same engine as the Scat Pack, but you're paying more for a whole bunch of suspension stuff that is really trying very hard to make it a sports car, but doesn't. Um, there's, there's, you can only put so much tire under the car. It has a weight problem. So I think that the car is best enjoyed for being what it is, which is a cruiser that sounds amazing. And okay. has it, the the Scat Pack 485 horsepower from that engine. That's a lot of that's a lot of grunt, yep. and it, uh-huh. it really goes. Um, it's way it, it's it's a huge upgrade over the 5.7, and you don't have to pay more for the the suspension you're never going to use, and you don't have to pay more for 707 horsepower and you know that escalated nuclear arms race of supercharged <laughs> madness. Uh, that's just my opinion. I've I've always found this Scat Pack to be the sweet spot. So I uh, I've been in, in a 
Charger uh, Hellcat. I've actually have been in all of the the variations of the Charger and very few variations of the of the uh, Challenger, which I think is really funny now that you now that I think about it. Um, and I've I love the SRT three ninety two. I think it and just the way you mentioned it, it sounds so good. Uh, and it and it's quite fast. I mean, it's really fast. And on the other hand of the spectrum, I I couldn't stand the five point seven. I thought it was uh, it was not fun to be around at all so now so, imagine that srt 392 cheaper without all the suspension you don't need yeah that sounds like a great that sounds like a great deal and you know the the the, the charger hellcat is much easier to drive on the track it has a longer wheelbase it has much better aero uh, it feels more stable in corners at higher speeds um you can't get a manual with it unfortunately but uh it's of the two it's the one that doesn't terrify me right um, of the two hellcats right yeah but uh, of the two vehicles overall, I, I prefer the Challenger for the styling. Cool. Um, and what else is what else is on your mind? What else in, did you have a good time uh, seeing and doing in in LA? I heard that you I heard that you actually took in a car themed uh, like food truck. Oh, <laughs> car themed food truck? No, I didn't. What I wasn't didn't it? What wasn't thing. a tire? The tire? What was it called? The tire shop? Oh, so I ended up. <laughs> Me and uh, Kanishka Sundara, we, we ended up, he's a colleague of mine, we found, so he was trying to find a good place to get tacos in the middle of the night, and he found this place on Yelp that was like rated, I had like 122 five-star ratings. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, and he's like, I've never seen anything like this, this is crazy, so we went and checked it out, and basically, it was it's called Tire Shop, and what it is, is it's a tent in the parking lot of a tire shop and there's like a, <laughs> it was one, literally a tire shop yeah and there's one communal table and everyone just sits around it and orders like three dollar tacos that taste amazing from some dudes and ladies who are just cooking it up underneath this tent and you just hang out and it's it was in a, a sort of sketchy part of town like i don't know la very well there were guys doing donuts in a uh, repo yard just across the street. <laughs> oh, wicked! Did you join them in your in your? Uh, no, it it, it oh. was pretty serious. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, maybe maybe Lexus next year will uh, will go to cust- uh, West Coast Customs and make a uh, tire shop. Uh, is. What do you I, think? I you know what I highly recommend you go and make your own tire shop at is and just go and check it out because I think it was really delicious. But it it's funny you mentioned a uh, food truck and that has me thinking about. Other food trucks that I encountered in LA, I also drove the new Nissan Sentra Nismo. What did that? What does that have to do with food trucks? Because they had food trucks at the drive event. Oh, great! And man. I ate. I and ate that a, was the most remarkable thing about the event. I I, I ate a giant <laughs> ice cream sandwich cookie thing that was like just just really good. Nice. Um, but um, anyway, the reason I mention this is because. And when I say drove it, I drove it two miles. Um, I split the the drive route, which was about, I don't know, seven, eight miles with a friend of mine, Dan Heyman. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I couldn't really tell anything about the car suspension-wise, but it drives it, – it's, identi- it, it's virtually identical to the SR Turbo. Um, basically – the SR Turbo. That, that doesn't sound like a great way to sell a car. No. So here's here's the convoluted birthing process of the Nismo. Here's what happened. So they designed the Nismo first. They were like, you know what? We need a faster Sentra, blah, blah, blah. They designed the Nismo. And then, for whatever reason, the SR Turbo came to market first before the Nismo. And all of the stuff on the Nismo that you find in the Sentra Turbo the SR Turbo, I'm sorry, which is the engine, the transmission, um, the suspension, some of the suspension, I should say, 
-hmm. It was all taken from the Nismo. But since the SR Turbo was released first, it looks like it's the other way around now. Right. So buyer perception is a Nismo is kind of just an SR Turbo with a body kit and a suspension tweak. And you get different seats. Uh, I drove the – we both <laughs> driven the, the SR Turbo. Uh, yeah. And neither of us were super impressed by it from a performance perspective. We liked the car – but we weren't like, this isn't really an SI equivalent or a Focus ST equivalent. I think I've said it in a past podcast, I wouldn't recommend it over the other cars in this class. I mean, the SR Turbo at all. I was, but you know what? The, the Nismo had so much potential. I mean, it did. But don't it, we love the Juke um, Nismo models? Aren't they just a blast to drive? They're fun. And you know what the Juke Nismo models in the past had? They had more horsepower than. <laughs> <laughs> than the standard yeah. juke but in this case and i i straight up asked i'm like why does the nismo model have 188 horsepower when in the juke i think it was 197 which is not a huge difference but it, you know it's, it's a little something something right like it gives me it, it motivates me to spend more money and i was told that they tried to make the uh, the nismo as inexpensive as possible and that meant well you know just reusing the engine from the sr turbo but how much does it cost? And I asked this question too. How much does it cost to change the line of software that controls the boost for the nine horsepower that you're getting out of the out of the different motor? And they were told, well, the guy was like, well, I don't really know the answer to that question. Which is that's fair. A, that's not a great answer, actually. No, it's not fair. That's a, that's a ridiculous answer. You should. Uh, that's embarrassing. Well, it, it's like the Nismo could have been really cool. They could have at least give me 200 horsepower. I think 200 horsepower is the the price of entry for the hot sedan compact segment. I mean, would you agree? I mean, what bugs me the most about this is that I'm pretty sure the last generation uh, Sentra or Sentra SER had 200 horsepower. It, it might of, have. Out it of a 2.4 liter four-cylinder or something. So it, it's... <laughs> or a 2.5. I really wanted to cheer for the, 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 the Sentra Nismo. I really wanted to be, you know, Team Nismo and be like, yeah, this is a cool car. I can recommend this. But... It's really not significantly different from the SR Turbo. The drivetrain is identical. You're getting a little bit of a suspension upgrade, but you still have a torsion bar out back, um, which doesn't compare well to more developed designs that are out there. It feels like a big missed opportunity. And whether Nissan just wants to make a little bit more money off of the 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 base Sentra and have this in the showroom to kind of you know soak up a little bit of uh, gearhead dollars. That's fine if that's your strategy, but they could have done so much more. And at the event, they had all sorts of cool Nismo cars there. They had past performance Nissans. They had um, Datsun Z cars. They had the what? GTR. Yeah, they had the GTR Nismo. They had the 370Z Nismo. These are all really cool cars. And, and they and they put the the Sentra uh, Nismo next to that and said, "Well, here you go. Look at this. Look at our next gener Look at our next chapter." Yeah, yeah, they did. Oof. Okay, you know who uh, also kind of disappointed me on, in, in a similar way? Um, Honda with the new Civic Si prototype. And uh, I don't know what to say about this car. Uh, it's a 1.5 liter turbocharged version of the, of the regular Civic Coupe. Um, and I don't, know, like, I don't know why they couldn't. First, I don't know why it's called a prototype. Uh, it looks like a it looks like a production car. So why, is it, uh, why does it disappoint you? What, what, what's, what's so bad about what you just described? Um, they haven't told me the power numbers, and the last SI had uh, 205, uh, 205 and 170 pound-feet of torque. Yes. And um, this is using the same turbocharged 1.5 from the regular coupe that you could get, which tops out at around 100 and just under 180. 
So they really have to sh they really have to you know showcase what this uh, Civic SI can do, and by just saying it's got the same engine, which the old SI didn't have uh, in comparison to the regular Civic, uh, that, they they just didn't surprise me in any way. And again, by calling it a prototype, they didn't really like show any confidence in what they're what they're what they're bringing to market. Well, I found you know I didn't spend a lot of time uh, in the Honda booth, but I did notice how amazingly busy the rear end of that that hatchback looks. It was just. Oh. It was just incredible. Like there was so much going on with the uh, yeah. with with the rear fascia and the, the arrow and 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 the, I think it has three exhaust tips. I is think that, you're, you're you're talking about the Type R though, right? Oh, you're right. I am talking. And about I'm the type I'm trying R. to talk about the Civic Si, which will which should come, I should hope that Si will come in before the Type R hits the market, um, and is going to be that midway point between the regular um, Civic and the oh, full on Type R model. But it feels like we're always talking about these cars every time we do a podcast, which is maybe just shows how um, <laughs> excited we are about them. Um, what uh, what else was really interesting? Um, how about a car I will never even come close to owning, which is the Maybach S650 Cabrio? Uh... <laughs> only 600, uh, sorry, only 300 of these things will be made. And, and, and um, yeah, so only 75 of them are coming to the U.S. Okay. And what's the price on the car? Do you know? Uh, you can't afford it. That's it. That's all I would know. <laughs> so the, if I'm not mistaken, that's the same engine that you can already buy in the uh, twin turbo V12 version of that of the AMG model, right? Right. The S, ES65? In the S65. But this is going to be the Maybach, which comes with um, all the usual Maybach jazz, which is... Uh, bigger like these huge wheels uh i believe it also comes with bespoke luggage including two large travel bags and duvet lifestyle totes wow you know sorry i'm just joking every time every time someone <laughs> it does says, come with that luggage though which is amazing every time someone says the word maybach i can't help but think about mean girls where they're where where they're trying to talk where where they, they talk about fetch and they're like, stop trying to make fetch happen. Fetch isn't going to happen. <laughs> stop trying to make Maybach happen. Maybach what? isn't going to happen. No, come on. It's a name that has no brand cachet in North America whatsoever. Uh, they, they tried it once. It didn't work out. They put it on pause. They're bringing it back. And now instead of offering um, different types of cars like they did originally, we have a different version of a car you can already buy with pretty much all of the same stuff except for the bespoke style things that people are going to go buy from Bentley instead of Mercedes-Benz. And I think it's the same thing with the S-Class, the S-Sedan Maybach. They have the Pullman, they have the S-600, um, they have the Maybach version now. I mean... Now, is... you, can't, you can't see me, but I am nodding my head. Those are wicked cars. They are so luxurious. I love that. But you know what? You bring up an interesting point. Um... You've driven a S sixty three or sixty five S sixty three, yeah, cab, cab, the Cabrio, right? The Cabrio, yes. And what did you think of that? I I thought it was an impressive car. It's uh, it's really an interesting take on performance and luxury. Um, not many people are building convertibles that size anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm all I've always been a a full size guy. I, li I like those kinds of cars. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the suspension feel in that car. Is it harsh? Is it? I mean, no. You, a lot of Mercedes that I get into have some, somewhat harsh suspension, and I it, think that the Maybach will definitely not would 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 not have that. It's definitely not harsh. Um, in fact, when I first started driving the car, it was 
it, it felt more like I was steering it than driving it. Um, you <laughs> kind of feel semi-detached from what's happening around you, but not detached from the road. It, it's hard to describe. Like, it's not a floaty car, but it's you definitely feel that it's very large. Um, yeah. and, uh, but I didn't, I didn't find it rough at all. It, it was, it was an impressive, an impressive car. It's, it's, it's a very low volume car for a very, very specific customer. And that I think is the problem with Maybach. It's like you, you already have this, this very unique vehicle and now you're making a niche version of a niche vehicle and giving it a crazy price. And why do I buy a Maybach instead of buying a Bentley or a Rolls? Like what's the those those are companies whose names mean something and the Mercedes Benz name means something but Maybach does not mean anything. Okay, that's a good point. But like I said, there's only going to be 300 of these things worldwide and only 75 in in the U.S. People will pay for that exclusivity. Um, how many how many uh, Bentley Continentals are manufactured each year? How many how many Don convertibles? That's how, true. I I don't imagine it can be in in. Do you think it could, it could surpass 300? I, those I, are I, handmade cars. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's the thing that 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 is that's the definition of bespoke right there. Yep, I I guess you're right. I mean, and it, the other thing I I wanted to ask is, can you get a V12 in anything but an AMG, in the Mercedes lineup? Yes, I think you can get an S600. I think the Pullman S600 is a is. But a the V12. Pullman is a Maybach. Is a, sorry, is a Maybach as well. It's so a Maybach get, as well. So it's a, a Maybach Pullman S600. Yeah, you can't Formatic, get Formatic, Distronic, Dynamic. <laughs> yeah, how many other things is it? Uh, it's not It's not Blue Efficiency or whatever it is. Blue Tech. Blue Tech. <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is I guess that's that's now, like V12s are going to be reserved from the AMG, for the AMG, the Maybach, and what, Pagani's? <laughs> well, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, it's not, uh, it's, it's in our world of, you know, crushing fuel efficiency and emission standards. It's, you got to kind of keep them low volume. And uh, I think that's I think that's all that really caught my eye at the at the LA Auto Show. There was uh, one more thing that was weirding me out a new <laughs> a, a new Chevy Spark. Oh, the the little the little Spark crossover thing. Yeah, the Spark Active, uh, which is just a raised version of the regular Spark, I believe, and barely raised at that. I think point um, four of an inch. Well, how many inches do you need, Sammy? Right, you're right, I guess. Uh, but it doesn't change the. I mean. The Spark is, I, I actually quite like the Spark. Oh, yeah, um, me too. And uh, this is a front-wheel drive car, and, and calling it a crossover and offering it to people without that um, that all-wheel drive option, I think might be tough. We'll see uh, what happens. I mean, you can buy front-wheel drive versions of so many crossovers, though. Yeah, but I figured that, I always thought that people really go for those all-wheel drive. That's why I thought that's why they were made. I mean, even that new Echo Sport that we saw and the upcoming uh, Toyota CHR. Will, which was also shown off, uh, I think, for the first time in, in the U.S. at the LA, at the LA Auto Show. Um, those are all going to be offered with all-wheel drive. And then there's this Spark Active, which seems like a tier below those things. Um, and it I just, think, it I just, think it's it's kind of the 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 crossover version of a sticker package. Um, you, <laughs> you no, it's not a bad thing. I mean, you get a you get crossover looks. It doesn't cost more to develop. You get something different in your showroom that has Spark on it. People will look at it and be like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. It kind of looks like my my Suzuki Aero, whatever SX4." You know, that, that kind of it, it's <laughs> no, but it's it's a it's a inexpensive way for a car company to build something that's different and that they don't need to sell in large numbers. I mean, it's not a new product; it's just a variation on an existing product. So, I I what I'm saying is my soul is comfortable <laughs> with the existence of this vehicle. Okay, is your soul comfortable with the other Mercedes that was that was seen at the show, the uh, G550 4x4? Oh, the G squared. 
The G, yeah, that's a real car. I thought that was going. I thought that was a concept, but apparently they made it a production vehicle. Yeah. Um, and it will start at two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. It was. Uh, it looks pretty badass. I mean, it's. It's insane. Yeah, it's 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 the six by six with without the second rear axle, basically. Yeah. From, from what I understand. You need a ladder to get into it, man. Well, maybe you do. Well, I I, I do. I'm I don't even, want to hurt. I'm my even shorter too. than you are. <laughs> Um, but you know what? This was a. There was one more th- car that was uh, that I didn't get a good look at, and all of my friends were raving about it. It's a new Porsche race car. The, yeah, the, the RSR. Porsche, the RSR. So um, basically, what Porsche did was they took the 911 and did what they should have done 50 years ago and put the engine in front of the rear axle. <laughs> wow, burn. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> It's the ultimate engineering fix for an engineering <laughs> engineering problem that has persisted for years. I mean, it, the uh, I think the 996 really solved that rear engine issue in terms of driving uh, dynamics. You never really felt like you were going to die <laughs> um, going around a corner on a racetrack, although the weight was still there. But in a pure racing scenario, which is where the RSR the RSR is not a street car; it's just designed for GT racing in Europe and whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the World Challenge Series. Um, you want the best weight distribution possible. And to do that, you really need a mid-engine car. And Porsche's best car by far, in my opinion, for whatever that's worth, is the Cayman, which is a mid-engine design. And so now we have a mid-engine 911 race car, which is fantastic, I think. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask you to back up for a moment. You're, you're, you, the best car that they make is the Cayman. Yes. And what about that poor Boxster over there in the corner that's now crying? The Boxster, and it's, and it's essentially the same car, the Boxster but without is, a roof. The Boxster is great, but I mean, here's my very, very selfish viewpoint: is um, there are a lot of racing and time trial series that won't let convertibles participate because of safety reasons. And when I'm looking at a car like that, a sports car, I tend to think about: will I be able to easily put it on the track or not? Uh, so that's that's my thinking. I don't dislike the Boxster. I think the Boxster is great, but the Cayman has that much more uh, cachet for me. I go for a more mainstream approach. I think it looks better between the two. The Cayman uh, looks far, far more attractive than the Boxster. The and new one, the new one does. The new one does. I think the older Cayman was a little awkward looking proportionally. Still a cool car, but. Well, I'm also awkward looking proportionally. So <laughs> I think that's. I think that pretty much covers our uh, the the unnamed automotive podcast. Uh, take on the 2016 LA Auto Show. What do you think? We wrapped that up pretty good? I think it does. And you know, it's a good thing that we wrapped it up because you're heading somewhere pretty cool tomorrow. I am going to Tokyo, which is uh, in a country called Japan. And uh, I'm going to hang out with some folks from Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi Autos, which is an interesting time to hang out with these people because uh, a large portion of their company or, or has been uh, purchased or, or is, is going under the command of... Uh, under the command. Of you are ni- now under the Nissan, command of Nissan of, Renault. Of Nissan Renault making <laughs> some new super team. Oh, man. It's, yes. like, uh, it's like... I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like LeBron James teaming up with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. It's more like uh, whenever all the old guys did it with uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and uh, Ray Allen. So it's a bunch of like smaller guys teaming up to, to make one big super team, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I think this has a number of, I think, positive implications for Mitsubishi, and I don't know what will happen for, for Nissan Renault. <laughs> I don't know what it means to Nissan Renault. 
it probably some type of synergy in a market that we've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, the, you mean like the K cars or the whatever it other could, European? It very well could be. But, but why are you going? Is it, is it not some kind of anniversary for for Mitsubishi? Yeah, I believe next year they're going to be celebrating their 100th year anniversary, and they want to uh, tell us that they're going to be okay during that time. So they had 99 independent years, and <laughs> yeah. now oh now <laughs> oh no, I'm just I'm just saying like that's how that's the optics on that. I think. Look, I was I got really excited when I think about what Nissan Renault could do for the Mitsubishi brand. I mean, can you imagine if Mitsubishi took all of that uh, Nissan GTR stuff um, and 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 turned it into a three thousand GT of their own, a modern three thousand GT VR4? That'd be amazing. Or I'm so if, excited, I'm gonna ask them that. Or if they, you know, updated their ten year old compact lineup with something <laughs> that wasn't ten years old, that would mean, also be amazing. I mean, I mean, it's the easiest option to just like sell us Altimas with Mitsubishi brands back on them. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not in this market, but maybe in you know South America or or Middle East or Europe that that might be a viable strategy. And I mean, we just did uh, make fun of the Sentra a lot. The Sentra. I don't think we made fun of the Sentra. I think we talked about how disappointed we are with the Sentra, and those are two different things. I don't and... have a, I don't have a problem with a faster Sentra, but what I want is an actually faster Sentra. That's if it's gonna have a Nisma badge, I, I I wanted to earn that badge, you know. I, I think that's. I mean, remember when there was the Nismo Altima? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Do we really want that part two? <laughs> no, no, we no, don't. We want we want a real Nismo we... car. Every other car that has the Nismo badge in the lineup has that little extra something. And okay, so you're, what what happens if the choice was between the? It, it was either gonna be called the Nissan Sentra Nismo or the Nissan Sentra Star Wars. Uh, Wookie Edition, which one would you take? Wow, Wookie Edition. Does that mean they're all brown and have like a weird kind of belt line stripe with that like uh, that mm-hmm. sash he's always wearing? And when you hit the horn, you've got the whole Wookie uh, growl going on too. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm sold. Based on <laughs> yeah, based on the horn alone, park it in my <laughs> park it in my driveway. Uh, what uh, what what would be the uh, the souvenir that you get with it? Um, you could either get that bowcaster thing that he has. Oh the, yeah. The or little... if you're if you're not into weapons, you could get uh, like a little baby Wookiee that you have to look after. Oh yeah, see yeah. that's responsible. That's far more responsible than a, a death trooper helmet. Yeah, yeah, and everyone wins, and Wookies are fun, and Wookies are friends. You know, like anyway, but it's never gonna happen. <laughs> it's never gonna happen because you know people like us aren't running uh, Nissan or Mitsubishi apparently. Oh, maybe you will be running Mitsubishi. Maybe that's why you're really going. Maybe they're. Oh, sure. I'm sure they're looking for talent. <laughs> They're looking for talent right now. All right, what are you up to? What are you driving? What are you? What do you have coming coming uh, to you next? Uh, I'm currently driving a Kia Sorento, Ooh. which is a five passenger, no, a seven seven passenger uh, SUV, which I happen to like very much. I, I've I've driven it before. I've enjoyed it. This is my first time driving the new version with the V6. Before I'd only driven the Turbo Four. Right. Um, and I have to say the V6 is much thirstier than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But the the car itself. I mean, Kia is extremely competitive when it comes to uh, SUVs. They're nice inside. They're well priced. You get a lot of features compared to the rivals. So I'm 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 enjoying it. Uh, I've also driven both the V6 and the turbocharged version of the uh, Sorento. The old the old was the old turbocharged model. Yes. Yes. Um, and I quite like the turbo. Yeah, it's, it's I, a fine I engine. Didn't I the and the V6 didn't leave any impression on me other than yeah, it was kind of thirsty on gas. Uh, if it was my money, I think I'd go for the turbocharged model. But uh, at the same time, the I think you can only get the V6 with all of the higher end trim levels, right? Yeah, you're right. 
anyways, great. I think that's a, it's a really cool car. I can't wait to hear what you end up doing with all that uh, space. What, how are you going to test it out thoroughly? <laughs> well, I, you know, I drove this <laughs> I drove this car to the uh, New York Auto Show two years ago. Nice. Um, and uh, it filled, filled it up with a lot of junk on the way back. Um, and it, it did well. And uh, next week, I'm also in SUV territory. I'm picking up a Subaru Forester. And I don't remember which version it is. <laughs> okay. I don't know if it's an XT or like a base or so. Well, 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 it'll be a nice little surprise on Monday morning. I actually hope that you don't get the XT. I always think the XT, um, I'm not always, I'm, I, I haven't been impressed with it. I always have more fun in the regular one, especially with the weather that we're getting now. What is, that, is, what is that supposed is, to mean? Which is all snowy and fun. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. I hate the snow. I'm telling you, if you have a Subaru, that's that's Subaru weather. That's, I do have a Subaru. <laughs> the snow is Subaru weather, and I think it's great. And, and I think I've said this a million times. I, 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 I had the Crosstrek for the first time one, one year, and um, I was really disappointed. I was really bummed out with it. It was one of the most uh, boring cars I had driven that year. And then a huge pile of snow dumped all over the place. And... Um, I took it out and I had a complete blast with this thing and it changed my mind. It, it was a complete contrast of driving it in the regular humdrum, humdrum traffic. Um, and then once the snow hit, once the slippery conditions hit, I was so happy and confident with it. Um, it was like a different car. That's kind of like what you're saying is that Subarus are essentially antidepressants for the, uh, the snow depressed. Yeah, for the people who have seasonal like uh, seasonal depression, yes. <laughs> the Subaru <laughs> seems to have to be the car for them. Well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's great. I, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, my trip next week and to hear what Subaru you finally uh, ended up with next week. So uh, it should be fun. It should be fun. I'm very excited to hear about what happens in Tokyo. How how long are you there? Uh, I think five days, but because of all of the the time change that I, that occurs and the length of the t the the flight, I really have no idea how long I'm actually <laughs> staying in the in the country for. Five all days I, is amazing. There's so there's so much cool stuff to do in Tokyo. I really hope you you get a chance to take advantage of it. It's a city unlike any other I've ever been to. I'm looking forward to all of that. The, there's a whole new culture there, um, and uh, I can't wait to take it in. And I hope I get to see some of the car culture as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. It seems like everything's coming up, Sammy, for you. Oh, sure. Just, uh, I don't know, I've got nothing else after this, and uh, I've got a lot of work to do when, I'm, when I get back. That's, that's the only problem with all these trips, right? Yes. But uh, that's it for now. I guess uh, I'll tell people to message you on uh, Twitter, and I guess I'll take some messages as well. You can reach me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing at me. Um, and Ben, what's your Twitter handle? It's at uh, Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me, uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I still use email. That's something that I do. Do you have to send a stamp with that? You do have to send a stamp, but you don't have to lick it anymore. That technology is is behind us. Fantastic. Self-licking stamps on the internet. Wonderful. <laughs> so thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, tune in next week when we'll hear about uh, Sammy's romantic misadventures <laughs> in Tokyo. And a whole bunch of stuff about Mitsubishi. <laughs> and the Subaru Forester you've got. And the Subaru Forester. Minor footnote, Subaru Forester. Major story, Sammy in Tokyo. <laughs> All right. See you, everyone. Bye.